Today we're in the narrative of St. Luke's Gospel, one of the great synoptic Gospels, the Gospel sympathetic to women and to healing, the compassionate Gospel, and many think the Gentile Gospel concerned with a wider view of Jesus than simply Jesus as a Jewish Messiah, although that confronts and concerns them. In Luke's Gospel, there are six predictions of Jesus' death. They're called the Passion Predictions. This is the final one. As Jesus turns his face from where he's lived for his life and knows that he's going down into the city of David for the final conflict in his heart and in his mind. But he's not sure whether he's taken the disciples with him in his mind. And as this gospel opens up, you can see that they're confused. So he takes just his very close friends that he trusts, and he takes them aside from the crowd, and he tells them what's going to happen. He lays it on the line. The disciples never like being laid on the line. The Christian church congregations don't like it when it's laid on the line. It's all right if you talk in riddles or are polite to them, but when you confront them with reality, it's a problem. It's very true for clergymen too, and Roger will agree with me in the good Baptist tradition that we clergy are almost the last people who like it to be told as it is. But Roger, it's the truth, isn't it? So here we are, Jesus takes the close friends that he trusts aside with him and they don't like it. And what does he do? He says, we are now going to Jerusalem, which meant in his language, we're gonna face the final days. They're going, what? We've been to Jerusalem before, what are we, what's going on? And everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man, the great messianic phrase, but turn to the Son of Man in Luke's gospel will be fulfilled, will happen. And then he quotes, we're not sure where Jesus is quoting from. It's an amalgam. It's probably the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel, but it's not. It's interspersed with other verses. And of course, as a good Jew and a young rabbi, Jesus, would have these verses in his mind as he turns to face reality for himself. So he says, he will be handed over to the Gentiles, the Romans, they will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And then the most enigmatic phrase of all, and on the third day he will rise again. Double Dutch for the disciples. They've been with this man for such a long time, they still don't understand it when he shares a mystery of his soul with them. That's too much. They can cope with the social gospel, they can cope with the healing, but when he takes them on one side and says, now we're at it, this is what's gonna happen. I want your total support and understanding, they have a problem. You know what it feels like as a Christian? No, of course you don't, you're, you're well on the way. I know what it feels like, believe me. 
The disciples do not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Now, do they choose not to know? Are they truly confused, or is it so clear to them that he's talking about himself that they simply don't want to face reality? You must be the judge of that when you read Luke's gospel. As he moves down the Jordan Valley in the journey from Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee, he comes to the great desert town, still a desert town, of Jericho. And we know of two healings that happened in Jericho. Zacchaeus went up a tree to see Jesus, and another person is sitting by the side of the road, a blind beggar. Two healing miracles in Jericho. Jericho, the great town of civilization, the place where seven civilizations have been, where the original tower, we believe, was removed and broken, where the Israelites hid before they went into the city of Jerusalem. It's here that Jesus comes finally before he moves up into the valley to the great city of Jerusalem. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Remember that if you were blind or you were deaf or you had leprosy, the Jewish community would think that you had the sins of your forefathers visited upon you. Like some people view AIDS and areas of people's life that they're not quite familiar with and think are nasty. They don't understand. They marginalize people completely. And that's exactly what's happening here. The blind beggar is unapproachable. People don't want to go near him. And he's blind. So there's something wrong with him. When he heard the crowd going by, he can't see, but he can hear. Who is it? What's going on? Another political uprising? What's going on in this strange city? They say to him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He thinks, and then he calls out this fantastic phrase, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What's he doing in that phrase? Respecting Jesus, putting Jesus in the great messianic tradition, saying that he is son of David. And then he's not saying, look at me, I need your help. He's saying, forgive me, have mercy on me, forgive me. That's all he wants from Jesus, recognition that he's all right, that he's not discarded, that he's not marginalized. Well, of course, those who led the way and of course the disciples, the great believers, push him out of the way. They want the triumphant entrance of Jesus. They're not bothered about this man. Tell him to be quiet. But he shouts all the more, good for him. Son of David, have mercy on me. He tries a second time. The voice was loud enough for Jesus amongst all of the noise to hear the piercing cry. And he calls for the man to be brought to him. And Jesus faces the man and stops 
Well, that upsets everybody because it's the progress stopped. The man's the focus of attention instead of the poor disciples. Not looking at them, he's looking at the man. They're not at all happy, the disciples. Mind you, they never are. What do you want me to do? Says Jesus. Knowing that this man recognizes him, what do you want me to do? Lord, I want to see. Doesn't say heal me. Doesn't say you're fantastic, Jesus. Give it to me. Sock it to me. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I want to see. And what does Jesus do? Focuses on the man and says these fantastic words. Receive your sight. So strong is your belief that it will happen for you. Your faith has healed you. And immediately we're told, to the surprise of everybody, particularly the disciples, you think by now would have got it right. He received his sight, what a fantastic experience. And he follows Jesus praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Now, of course, it's significant that the question about going down to Jerusalem is followed in this gospel by this healing miracle about somebody who can't see. I mean, you get the point, don't you? I don't have to labor it anymore, do I really? Jesus is reminding these people that they can't see either. And that it's possible to see what's going to happen with some kind of semblance of inner conviction. That's what he's talking about. The inner conviction that Jesus was capable of forgiveness to him has helped the man who was blind physically to see again. But the disciples who'd all got their sight were as blind as a bat because they couldn't see the truth that Jesus was sharing with them. So, what a fantastic story as the church, by the way, that's you, not the bricks and mortar, you, we, comes to face the beginning of Lent next week, Ash Wednesday, when our eyes, we hope, will be open to the same journey of Jesus to Jerusalem, but this time with these disciples, with their eyes wide open, knowing where they're going, and at the same time, asking Jesus the one question that matters. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then believe that he does. And everything will change. Amen.